All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome into the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak. I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Thomas Bowen. Like, Thomas, do you think you're the, like, second most famous person in the Bowen Man family, or, like, where do you fit there? Oh, that's tough call. That's tough call. It depends on what, what kind of accolades are going on here. Dave, uh, you know, the, the middle one, he had the brains, but the oldest one probably had uh, the best athletic prowess. And I was just, you know, I was the, the end of the line there. I got you. I hear you. Well, we are here for anybody new to the show. Thanks for joining us. We are the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. We like to break down scheme. We like to think we go deeper than the average podcast and we know more than the average football fan. And if you don't consider yourself an average football fan, that's okay because we're going to help you out with that tonight. And also, we if you are a slightly above average football fan or maybe you're just a really knowledgeable fan, we hope you enjoy the show as well. For anybody who's wondering, we are South Carolina Gamecock football fans. Thomas and I are here because we love talking ball we love talking x's and o's for the jimmies and the joes and that's what we're going to do we'll start off every week by talking about south carolina's previous game the week before we'll break down their upcoming game and we will talk a little bit about games around the country that interest us thomas will mostly talk about the defensive side of the ball because that's what he played and coached and i'll talk offense because that's what i played and coached but We'll also jump in on each other sometimes here and there. So, Thomas, what do you say we just jump into this thing? Let's get it. I like it. We got a lot to talk about. We sure do. All right, let's start with South Carolina at UGA. Thomas, you know, we ended last week's show by saying, heck, we would love to be wrong about how much of a uh, mismatch this was for South Carolina. And we were partially wrong. The Gamecocks gave uh, a much better showing than either one of us anticipated, than Vegas anticipated. But unfortunately for Gamecock fans everywhere, still came out on the losing end of this game in Athens. Thomas, the the first thing I want to say is our offensive line, which has been criticized and much maligned, definitely had from a execution standpoint their most improved and best game. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, and I would say because I, I think I said it in the heat of the moment when we were texting during the game, and and I still agree with it now. That was the best they've played all year for about three quarters, and I don't really fault them for that because talent and depth just won out. I agree with you there. Um, you know, we did start our true freshman at left tackle tree. Thomas, how do I say his last name so I don't butcher it? Babalade. Babalade got the start, go. his first career start as a true freshman in Athens on the road, national televised game against the number one team in the country. And boy, did he do a good job, such a good job that he got voted SEC freshman of the week. And, you know, I got to be honest with you, Thomas, uh, on first watch and really on sequential, se- se- that's not the right word, uh, <laughs> sequential watches, uh, he has been, or subsequent, man, crushed it. Uh, there he, you go. He has been, uh, I, every time I watch, I've been impressed with his technique, his knowledge, his his physical prowess. He, he's a kid who has really impressed me. Um, you know, obviously a highly recruited 
player, a big get for the Gamecocks. And, you know, again, I said it last week, I hate that he's been pressed into service as, as early as he has been, but definitely seemed ready for it, definitely held his own. Um, on the other side of the offensive line at right tackle, the struggles continued. Um, saw, yes. some, saw a lot of difficulty handling the rush, uh, particularly blitzes. Uh, got got ragdolled a few times, just got straight bull rushed a few times. Ultimately, not the best thing. And, you know, South Carolina still has to figure that out. Thomas, the one thing I will say is, and you and I have talked about this a couple times, this is definitely the best defensive line that this offensive line for the Gamecocks is going to face for this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, on the, on the flip side of it, this is one of the better, one of the better offensive lines that our defensive line is going to face this year. So yeah, good, good tests on both sides of the ball. Totally agree with you there. Um, The first drive of the game for South Carolina was a thing of beauty uh Spencer Rattler went eight for eight on that drive and threw a touchdown to Juice Wells. We'll talk about Juice in a little bit. Thomas, overall, I, I really liked the game plan. I, I thought it was a good game plan. There were, you know, I, I would say more mental or or procedural errors um and some just bad concentration moments with some drop passes that hurt the Gamecocks more than the game plan. I thought the plan was was well designed. Really? Just, yeah. I just yeah, don't know yeah. that it was great execution. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it was uh I agree with you. I think we had a uh great game plan and it was executed well, but again, when you play a team that is stacked four and five star deep at the two and the three deep there, you know, we've said it before, but late in the game, what would be a two, three yard run turns into a five, six, seven yard run. And it, you just get worn down whenever you play a team as talented and as deep as Georgia, but great game plan. I got very few complaints there. I agree with you. And I think, you know, the thing that hurt us the most things that you can't do penalties uh yeah. and and a lot of penalties before the ball even snaps several false starts um which is you know always frustrating particularly on first down when you get behind the chains as they say uh that really limits your play calling that really changes your game plan and it just makes it difficult on the entire offense that can't happen uh, and and when a game against a team like Georgia in Athens that's I think they had a 20 game or 19 game maybe it's now 20 uh game winning streak going on before that also Thomas one of the things that you know kind of plagued us at times last year and and in years previous but so far this year had not been nearly as much of an issue drop passes we we saw too many balls that were dropped there was a key drop by Trey Knotts the transfer tight end from Arkansas on a big third down um that we weren't able to convert and that again, those are the type of things that can't happen. You can't, you can't have that happen. Uh, and again, try to beat the number one team in the country. Spencer Radler continued to look very, very good. Um, in the second half, he did not have fare nearly as well as he did in the first, but there's a couple of contributing factors there. We've mentioned for sure. Yeah. We, we've mentioned the penalties. Um, also South or excuse me, Georgia's marched down the field two times in a row and scored. And, you know, that that puts you behind the eight ball. You start maybe feeling like you got to press. And, you know, late in the game, I do think Spencer uh, was a little frustrated. There were times you could see some frustration, which, I mean, I, I can understand that. And so he forced the ball here and there and also just trying to make a play and ended up throwing two picks late in the game, which certainly didn't help anything either. Uh, so, Thomas, thing of the thing, speaking of things that didn't go so great, 
the run game is once again uh, an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. For the majority of the game, Spencer Radler was the leading rusher on the team with 17 yards. Yeah, I did not see that, but that should not surprise me. That should not happen in a game in the SEC by an SEC team. Um, I do still call to see Mario Anderson. It's Mario Anderson, yes. Uh, In in the game more, I think DK, one thing that I think DK is a niche-type guy, niche-type guy for is maybe your – your third and shorts. He's he's put on enough weight that he can go bust it in there, and also scoring touchdowns in the red zone does a good job with that. But when it comes to your more of your every down back, your 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 first, second, and third down back, I I think it's got to be Mario. There yeah. has been a lot of uh, fans very upset with our running back coach about the how the rotation is working. I think. You know, hopefully uh, Mario is getting more comfortable with his roles in pass protection and, and carrying out fakes and whatever might be causing him to not be on the field as much as fans would like to see him on the field. And here's the thing, Thomas, and we'll talk about this when we get into the this week's game with Mississippi State. <clears throat> it Just like everything in football, particularly in the run game, it's not one person. You got to have good blocking. You got to have good vision by your running back. You got to have perfect, good... a perfect orchestra. Absolutely, it, it, you, you, it, nobody can do it by themselves. The only running back who ever that I've seen play live do it himself is Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders could make eleven dudes miss all by himself and score a touchdown, but <laughs> we don't have him. And Barry, there hadn't been another one since, and so that's a tough situation. Um, Thomas, as we unfortunately continue. The uh, trend of things that we were saying didn't go so hot. I mentioned Spencer in the second half, struggled a little bit. One of his key mistakes that was really frustrating for me, and I, I'm sure if he went back and watched film, realized I should have thrown that ball away. It was a third and long, third and manageable-ish type situation. We were right in field goal-ish range for, for a good kicker like ours. Takes yeah. a big sack, and we end up having to punt. And, and, you know, football is a game of momentum. It was obvious coming out of halftime Georgia had momentum and we did not. That was an opportunity to to put the brakes on that and, and go, okay, we got some points on the board. Let's go do this. And unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And things just deteriorated from there, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Thomas, as we look at the injury report, mostly it was pretty, you know, pretty clean game for the Gamecocks, except for one key player, Juice Wells. Yeah who scored on a, a great call, great pass, great execution by him. Well, lo- love that play design. I was just looking at that. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful play in the red zone there. But he injured his foot again, re-injured it, aggravated it, whatever you uh, want to say there. You know, there's, there's some reports out that you hear broken foot. And the thing about having a broken foot, Thomas, is there's like a million bones in the foot. And, and yeah. what that means is, is so complex like it's not like you broke your arm there you that right. that could be a minorish thing that you can play through or that can be a major thing so right. what I, does that mean what bone did you break right like it's so that is tough but thomas i don't know that ice is going to help juice wells's foot heal but if the gamecock training staff needed to find some ice and ice is expensive do you know where they could find some for free Oh, oh, that's right, Andrew. We're going to help our listeners out with a sweet deal. 
just like the the dudes I helped out last weekend, right? So I'm at this, I'm at a local store. I see some bros getting some ice for their coolers. Watch them get several bags out of the cooler, solid blocks of ice, which I'm sure they paid way too much money for. Dude drops a bag on the ground to break it up. And what do you think happened? You know, dropped it on the ground, busted, ice everywhere. Right. So now that $3, seven pound bag of ice is all over the ground. I said, hey, buddy. I said, you need to hit up a twice the ice machine. They're all over town, including Chapin, Irmo, St. Andrews, West Columbia, downtown, even Eastover. He was intrigued. So I told him how you can get a 16 pound bag or 20 pounds dumped right in your cooler for $2.50. And I even hooked him up with the same great offer I'm giving to our listeners today. Head on over to one of the twice the ice machines and text the word average to the phone number on the machine and you'll get a free bag of ice right there on the spot. Super easy, super convenient. Look for participating locations at tticlub.com backslash Lake Murray Ice. And thank you to our sponsor, Twice the Ice. All right, Andrew, some positivity. Tell me about some positive offensive things. I mean, the big takeaway, uh, the biggest takeaway for me from this game is that we found our answer at left tackle. Uh, tree, sure. is, tree is the answer. Um, there is no other... You know, barring an injury for him, he's the guy for the rest of the way. Um, you know, he not to say other guys, you know, the college game is so different than the high school game. You find your five starting offensive linemen in high school, you stick to them uh, because you typically don't have a whole lot of guys waiting in the wings that are ready. So it's not to say he's going to be on the field every single snap. He needs to get the start. He needs to get the majority of the snaps. That's a future star player on the offensive line at left tackle right there. Radler overall again, continues to look strong. It does not seem, I think it's safe to say at this point, this new version, this better Radler 2.0 version that started in Kentucky last football season is continuing. I mentioned he pressed late in the game, had a key mistake there, uh, given up taking a sack in a bad situation. But overall... Probably some, probably some frustration on his part at that point. You can't blame him. No, absolutely not. And you're being a, you're being a playmaker. You're holding right. the ball as long as you can, hoping I'm going to find somebody open. I'm going to find somebody open. We got to score. We got to score. And, you know, they, it, it can bite you sometimes. And it bought, bit him on that particular play. Um, I think the other big mention here is Xavier Leggett continues to look very, very good. Um, you know, making some acrobatic catches. Uh, I saw on a, I can't remember which NFL scouting uh, twit, tweeter. <laughs> uh <laughs> account we're just going to leave it at that that i saw say <laughs> that uh you know he has really become an elite route runner and i mean that's what the nfl is looking for is an elite route runner that's going to make a very important impact for his draft status the other one uh eddie lewis continues to look strong out there when he is on the field i think he's a major contributor <laughs> that we may need to see more of um as injuries continue to mount at the wide receiver position we do know juice wells is out obviously this week against Mississippi State, as well as good old A.B. Uh, you know, tell me, is it Amarion? Is that how I say his first name? No, that's yeah, not right. Amarion. 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 Brown yeah. has a hamstring injury. Those things can linger, unfortunately. But uh, he, he, Eddie Lewis continues to fill in well there. And, Thomas, I'm going to switch to the defensive side of the ball for just a second on my positivity here. T.J. Uh, TJ Sanders looked like a man out there as a sophomore against an elite offensive line was wreaking havoc and i loved what i saw from that young man just 
an intensity, a nastiness, a, a I'm going to get to you and bust your ass type mentality. And I loved it. But with that being said, Thomas, defensively, and I'm going to let you obviously talk more about this than me. Here's one of the things that, that bothered me that we hadn't seen in the first two games, in my opinion, as much. A lot of bad tackling. Some of our DBs didn't look super interested in tackling the ball carrier. That was the old hug them to the ground technique and yeah. didn't love that. Uh, Stone Blanton God. continues to seem to take bad angles and be overly aggressive. And I just uh, I struggle with that. But Thomas, you get into that more than me. Talk to us about the defense. Talk to us about some things that that had you a little upset from Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 keep it on that theme so I can so I can get to some positive stuff here. But on Blanton, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse because every week I bring this up. We talk about this, his bad angles, he's just out of control. I mean, I and and when I mean out of control is like he's just he's not playing within the scheme. I feel like he's 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 second guessing things. He's overshooting routes uh, and good offensive coordinators are starting to take advantage of that, just like Bobo did in the second half this past weekend. So it's just and that's that the angles and stuff. That's fundamental football. And you're, you know, coming into week four here or yeah, week four. Right. Yes. And yeah. <clears throat> You just you just can't be doing that stuff. That's got to get cleaned up. Um, T.J. Sanders, absolutely right. He, I don't know what it was. I don't know what what switch got flipped. I felt like we all have known how talented he is and how and the talent is there. But man, something turned on, and I feel like it's kind of been like a slow build, and it just hit it, and he went and played amazing this weekend. Um, I'm looking forward for him to get, to continue that uh, throughout the season and just get better and better because, you know, all of our best, the best uh, Gamecock teams in our lifetime have had those dominant defensive linemen. And I feel like we've got good edge players, but we haven't had those Kelsey Quarles and those Trayvon, those kind of guys. Absolutely agree with you there. One thing, and Thomas, I want to get your input on this. I feel like one of the things that I have been a little – underwhelmed by and we knew there was some concerns about this coming in our edge players uh, I, yeah. I didn't think we see edge great at times um do you agree with me that we need to see a little bit more of brian thomas jr 46 out there even though he's a little undersized i'm glad you said that because i thought he played really well this weekend too um that's somebody, and I didn't even realize like what his size was, but I thought he looked good. Uh, he played really smart. I would definitely like to see more of that guy out there. Gotcha. And my other question to you, Thomas, another highly recruited, highly thought of, came in early, if I remember, Pup Howard. We haven't seen yes. as much that we may have thought. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and um, – you know, because I, I've, I've asked this question before, you know, is speaking of Stone Bland, is he really our best option at a linebacker spot? And and really the only the only person we have waiting in the wings is that highly touted freshman Puff Howard. And uh, my brother pointed out to me the other day that uh, Ryan Brewer, former Gamecock great, was on uh, one of the local shows the other day. And he was talking about what uh, the coaches, I don't know if it was Beamer or um, or Clayton, said in a presser or 
you had a press conference that said somebody had asked him about Pup Howard, you know, plans to get him in there. Said, well, we just got to get him ready. He, he just got to be ready for we can put him in there. And as Brewer said, that's coach speak for like he's not ready to go in there. We're seeing something in practice like he's either not picking up pass coverage or he's not picking up this. Like he's not ready to go out there. And if that is the case, then. I guess if I guess it just goes back to like, well, they're at practice. I'm not there. They see what they see. So maybe Stone Blanton is our best option there. But I mean, Pup Howard has flashed some. And didn't he have an injury too when he came in? Yeah, he was. Uh, I, I know he had one in preseason camp. He, you know, he got a little banged up. Uh, you know, another guy that's been brought up is why aren't we seeing Nick Harbor? Again, you know, fans, we, we always want these studs ready to go immediately. Um, it's just not always the case. The college game is is much more complex than the high school game. It takes a lot to get used to it and, and the expectations of what you need to do and what you're supposed to know as a football player and know it instantly. Um, and, you know, it's just you got to have guys that are ready. I mean, I remember Alshon Jeffrey, one of my favorite Gamecocks of all time. He it was the Kentucky game his freshman year before the light really came on. And I feel like that year it was like game four or five. And he went on to have a legendary career. It does just because a guy's not ready to stand in there on the first or second game and, and play football doesn't mean he's not going to be a great player. Um, Absolutely. And, and so coaches have to make the smart decision of going, man, we don't, we don't want to stick you out there if you don't know what you're doing. Cause number one, you're going to hurt the team. And number two, it can be a thing where psychologically it messes you up. I always think about Derek Carr in the NFL, David Carr's older brother, number one overall pick of the Houston Texans. He got sacked an NFL record for like the first three years he was in the league. And he was just never the same player. He was just never the same player and got shell-shocked. And so you put a guy out there and help him kill his confidence when he's not ready. It's not going to help the team. It's not going to help the kid. All right, Thomas, time to flush that game move into another set of Bulldogs. The Mississippi State Bulldogs are coming to Williams-Brice. And, Thomas, I think I saw, and I could be wrong about this, the Bulldogs have not beat South Carolina at home since 1998. I think I think that is about right because I saw where it was it was twenty or thirty years. So yeah, and I mean, granted, we don't play them every year, so it's not right. like we're you know. But just been a minute since that happens. Last week, uh, Mississippi State also had a game. Well, I guess the Gamecocks didn't really have a game they'd like to forget. Mississippi State had a game they'd like to forget. They got smoked by LSU, um, and really, really just you know did not look strong out there. Coming into the week, Thomas, the initial line was four and a half. Gamecocks favored by four and a half. That's now up to six and a half. Um, so Vegas thinks that the Gamecocks can can beat this team. Mississippi State's defense is going to run a three three five defense. If you've been a Gamecock fan for a really long time, this is the defense that Charlie Strong ran with us under Lou Holtz. Um, one of my favorite players, Rashawn Faison, uh, played in that role, and God, he was so much fun to watch. Um, I just loved watching number 11 run out there and just headhunt. Um, nowadays, he'd be penalized and kicked out of every game, but he was a stud. <laughs> anyway, for anybody who's not familiar with that terminology, that means three down linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. You may be thinking, that's not a lot of guys at the front of the field. It's not. But what they like to do is you're going to see different guys rush and different guys drop, and you're not going to be ready. It's designed to cause confusion. And, of course, 
in today's college football, the spread is king, and it's a chance to stop the pass with five defensive backs. But, Thomas, all of that said, let me give you some stats for Mississippi State's game against LSU last Saturday. Starting with the most important number, they gave up 41 points. Five, 530 yards of total offense, 367 in the air, 27 first downs. Jeez. LSU went 9 of 16 on third down, which that tells me they didn't even get to third down that often. Yeah. They, they, they were getting first downs on second down. And, Thomas, probably other than the score, one of the most concerning stats for Mississippi State, LSU punted two times. That is impressive. So, with all that being said, Thomas, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it. it. Hate it. Hate it. It's a it's a must-win game. It's a it must is. I think it game. is. I think it is. You can't go into Knoxville next weekend at one and three. You just can't do it. You can't do it and hope for a good season. It just can't happen. And big, big pressure. I hate that. But uh you, you gotta find a way to win this game. You're favored to win this game. You found your offensive line. This is a game you have to have success on offense. We saw it in the first half last week when we played a little cleaner. This offense is capable of playing sustained long drives. We got to have low penalties. We did not have that in the second half and really in the first half a lot of times. And you got to score touchdowns. You get and, in the- and and to be clear, to be clear, I want to make sure we're on the same page with this. When 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 I say this is a must-win game, it's not must-win in the sense that there's some sort of postseason implications or rankings or anything like that. For me, this game is a must-win because I feel like this season can go – this is a crossroads. It'll, it'll change the tone and the direction for the rest of the season. I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you. I mean, I'm not saying that if you lose this game Saturday, the season's over. That's not at all what I'm saying. There's still – you know, there's still more ball games to be played, but it just you got it's going to give you a bad taste in your mouth, especially after how LSU handled Mississippi State. Thomas, the thing I talked about earlier, there's a couple different types of penalties in my mind, and coaches talk about this a lot. My coaches did. There's mental mistake penalties like false start, illegal shift, illegal formation, delay of game, ineligible man downfield, a block in the back. Those are mental errors. You can't do that. You can't do those things and win football games. And I will say this, as damning as a holding call can be or something like an offensive pass interference can be, I call those effort penalties. Fair, you're, fair you're, you're, you're given an effort and you went a little overboard. Maybe you were a little outmatched or you got yourself in a bad position. Or if you're a wide receiver, you're trying to help your quarterback. He throws you a ball that's iffy, and you got to shove that defensive back out of the way so he doesn't get the interception. I, uh, you, you can't have those things happen all the time and win games because a holding penalty is a 10-yard penalty. But, you know, if you have one every once in a while, I, I can't be mad at it because you're trying. You have a false start, I got a problem. You, yeah. you know, you, you're jumping early. You know the snap count. You got to you, – you, you got to – you can't do those things. Game plan is going to be similar this week. Get the ball out quickly. But, Thomas, there's a difference. The Bulldogs of this week, that 3-3-5 is more so set up where there's weaknesses in between the hashes, in my opinion. So instead of running a lot of perimeter bubble screens, 
things to the sideline. We need to see a lot of slants, a lot of hitches, and players finding space. This is an old term from the air raid offense. It's a saying that you hear all the time in the air raid. Run to grass, not ass. Don't be where another man is. If your route says, I'm running a crossing route, for example, and I notice they're in a zone and the linebackers have vacated, stop running. Turn and show your numbers to the quarterback. Sit in the hole. That's another thing they talk about all the time. Sit in the hole and stay and wait for the ball to come to you. Cut off your slant if you're in a hole. Stop your hitch. Timing throws are going to be key this weekend. You cannot, and this is hard, and I, I love Spencer. He's played great. I said that multiple times. This is not a game, at least initially, that you can be looking for the deep ball a lot. The deep ball is where they're strong. You need to hit that short to intermediate game in between those hash marks, do some mesh work, do some some crossing routes. But there again, sit. Don't run to a guy, to a space where a guy's standing. Stop your route. You and your quarterback got to have that communication. You know, and, and honestly, I think, and and I didn't really think about this until the more you started getting into this, but I really think particularly are, are, are really solely the first half of the Georgia game. I think that is that offensive game plan and execution is is our bread and butter. And I think I think that is very similar game plan to what we should use here, particularly like some of those perimeter that turn back inside between the hashes like that when the juice scored on was a perimeter screen that he yep. cut through the middle and it was history from there. So I, I think I think that would be I mean, certainly Mississippi State is watching film, but sure. game plan is a game plan. But the old school screen of turning the guys loose in the middle and letting your running back just get right behind them and you just the quarterback sort of you know alley oops that over them and yeah. I just use my arm like anybody could see us and um <laughs> you know you've got empty space with Lyman waiting as a, a as a convoy that play should be huge this weekend now yeah. the screen pass Thomas is something that's so interesting teams I've been on teams as a player and as a coach and I've watched teams as a fan. Some teams are great at screens, and some teams struggle with. And I mean that on a year-to-year basis. Like sometimes yeah. you run a screen and you're as successful as all get out. Sometimes it's like the Keystone Cops out there, and and so you just you know maybe the screen game hadn't worked the way we wanted it to work so far in practice. You mentioned earlier we're not at practice, but I would like to see the screen game. And we did have a success with that great throw to Juice on the screen there. But like you said, he cut that back inside. Got to think about those inside routes this week. And Thomas, the mental mistakes have to stop. I've said it all, once already. Can't have false start penalties, particularly on first down. There was another series in South Carolina early in the second half last week where we had a false start. I think we were on like our 15. We got the ball yeah. on like the 10 or the 15-yard <clears throat> line. And I mean, you just you can't have that happen. Thomas, the other thing is we have to have a run game. We have to have a run game. Here's what I'm going to say, and this is a coaching thing. We've seen a variety of offensive running schemes in blocking. We've seen power. We've seen counter. We've seen duo. We've seen zone. Those are all great concepts. If I'm D'Lo and his army of GAs, which he should have, which is graduate assistants, I'm breaking down the film play by play and saying, what play running the ball do we have the most success with? Is it inside zone? Is it outside zone? Then those are the plays you run because 
what you're succeeding with needs to stay in the playbook. I understand you get a certain look from the defense. You want to go to, you know, a different concept or whatever. You, you got to sometimes just stick with what works, even if it's not the ideal, you know, situation, that old call it and haul it situation. Last week, I was advocating against my normal instincts for the RPO, the run pass option. I don't want that again. Quarterbacks tend to pull that more than they should. I want called run plays. Uh, again, I'm going to advocate for being creative. Put, put Dak in the backfield at quarterback and let him run zone read. We've done it before with him with success. He's going to have to be willing to throw the ball. We've done it before. And I'm going to whisper, I'm going to whisper, Lenora Sellers, maybe back there every once in a while to get creative. I'm just saying. We got to see a little bit more. And Coach Beamer knows this. He said it in his presser. Got to see more of Mario Anderson. Got to get him on the field more. Hopefully, if there is some, Thomas, like a mental error type issue going on in practice, they've set him down and said, son, we need you in this football game. We need you to be out there on Saturdays. We got to get this cleaned up. I did I did see where uh, Mario Anderson has now gotten an or on the depth chart, but sadly it is an or with Juju and not an or with DK. Oh, yeah, in the second string. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I did see that. Uh, Got to find an answer at right tackle. Uh, I'm not positive. Our current uh, player there, Fugger, is the answer. I don't know what the answer is. You got to have some consistency there. Thomas, can't have any turnovers. Can't give the ball up against a team that you're probably better than. That's a quick way to lose. Big key here, get points on the board early. Let your fans get crazy on when, when the other team's on offense because you've scored touchdowns. Get your team confidence. Get your line confidence. Get those running backs confidence. It, this is a game that Carolina must start early in, in my opinion, to keep those those bad feelings, those oh-no-here-we-go-again moments from coming into the brain on offense. Thomas, what do we got to do on defense? Yeah, so this uh, this Mississippi State offense is is something else because as a reminder for some of our listeners, you know, uh, one of one of our our favorite offensive coaches, maybe the godfather of the modern day air raid, Mike Leach, coached at Mississippi State last year and had Will Will Rogers, the quarterback there, just lighting it up, flinging it all over the yard. Had a solid like a nine and four season, I think. Then. Of course, Coach Leach unexpectedly passed away in December, and then R.I.P. to the Pirate Man, one of the best. The pirate. One yes. of the best, man, one of the best. Yeah, he was great, and always had a great turn of the phrase. He was fantastic in press conferences. So, yeah, yeah, shout out to uh, to Leach there. But so then Zach Arnett, D.C. last year gets elevated to head coach. Um, to my knowledge, his first head coaching gig. Um, I really like him as far as like press conference and, you know, he's got a lot of energy and you can tell he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, but he's trying to figure it out. Um, so all that said, this team was, was built for a Mike Leach air raid offense. And it's just not working because Arnett brings in Barbe, I think is uh, his office mm -hmm. coordinator. Yep, yep. And, and it's, they're trying to blend the wide zone and play action with some air raid and it's just failing 
miserably. Uh, you talked about how great LSU stats were offensively last week. Well, Mississippi State's offensive stats were quite the opposite of that. It was 24 nothing LSU before Mississippi State scored with about a minute left in the first half. Didn't score again until late in the fourth quarter. Only had 201 yards of offense. They had this – you want to talk about a staggering stat? They had one stretch of 11 straight plays. 11 with zero or negative yards. That's impressive. Wow, that's bad. <clears throat> yeah. Wow, yeah. that's bad. And and Will Rogers, who was, like I said, lighting it up under Mike Leach last year, he was a paltry 11 of 28 for 103 yards, no mm. touchdowns, constantly under pressure. They Mississippi State is having – uh, some offensive line woes as well. Again, these guys were recruited for, you know, spread you out, wide open, air raid. Now they're trying to, you know, I think if it was up to Arnett and he had the personnel, he would be straight up power football. Um, don't know how well it worked, but it's certainly That's not a, working. I'm going to interject here. That's a defensive coordinator as a head coach thing. They yeah. love to run power. Like they don't want to throw yeah. the ball. Think, like, think, think about it. Think about it. Nick Saban in the old days, they were exactly. like ground to pound. Ground yeah, to pound. Saban finally said, "We got to throw it around the yard." Um, yeah. But like you know, didn't go so great down in South Florida last week. But you know, um, they got the win. But yeah, I mean, I, that's just a. Di- I don't know why. I guess it's they know that when you throw the ball, it's more common for turnovers. You know, so many more things. But I just find that so interesting. If I'm a defense, like what's funny is Bob Stoops who was the coach at Oklahoma, who hired Mike Leach to be his offensive coordinator from Kentucky, said the worst time we had defending guys was playing Kentucky, where Mike Leach was calling, well, I guess how Mommy was probably calling plays. But with that offense, bring me that. We can't yeah. stop that. So it's just so funny to me. A lot of defensive guys are like, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to run the eye. We're going to run the eye. Like, it's just not that they're doing that, but you know what I mean. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, yeah, this the, they don't have an offensive identity right now. It's just, it's, I will say, they're running back, Joquavius Marks. He, all that to say, he's still leading the SEC in rushing 325 rush yards, averaging 6.4 yards a carry, which is pretty impressive, right? You know, those are good stats. Six, six, almost six and a half yards of rush. That is very impressive. But, Let's if you look deeper. So they open up the season with southeastern uh, Louisiana, then they uh, beat Arizona in overtime, and then last week against LSU, where they play a defense with a pulse. He had one fifty-two yard chunk run. You take that away, he only had twenty-three yards on seven carries. Yeah. So there's going to be a little regression to the mean there. So that stat jumps out to you, but if you really dive down especially with with the offensive line issues that they're having. And they've been rotating like eight guys through the offensive line, trying to find some cohesion there. Hopefully they don't find that this week. So if I'm Clayton White, excuse me, he tries to say, if I'm Clayton White, how do I defend this offense? Man, with the issues they're having and as bad as Will Rogers has been, it's base defense, it's quarters coverage. I'm 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 gonna be aggressive with my blitzes because he is not good under duress. And I feel like uh running for his life. They had um yeah, he was he was sacked four times last week, four hurries, like multiple pass breakups. Roll a safety down into the box because I, mm-hmm. I I would you want to take away the run, keep a numbers advantage in the box, like so much we, we've talked about that before and how 
coordinators look at that as you want to have a numbers advantage in the box. You literally want to have more guys in the box than they do so you can block it or defend it. Um, force Rodgers to go through all of his progressions, let the defensive line pin their ears back. Um, TJ Sanders want to see another great game out of him. And then really up front in those base packages, you got to keep that gap integrity because Marks is a good running back and he can make you pay, maintain the edge. Um, Just don't let Marks gash you. I think if, as long as we can contain their running game and we can get after the quarterback and have a good day from the defensive line, I think things are going to be pretty good. I know Williams Bryce is going to be rocking. What do you think is going to happen here, Andrew? You know, uh, like I said, I hate to say it, it's a game that we really need to win. I hate using that phrase as a must win. It really has, in my opinion, for momentum and confidence of the team, really needs to happen. I'd love to see it be a huge margin. You know, we go out there and we built some confidence and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to whoop these boys. But I think it's going to be a situation where – here's how I, I will say it. If we can play clean football – and not have uh, silly mistakes on penalties and drop balls and turnovers, I think we could be comfortable in the fourth quarter. But you go out there and, you know, fumble, false start, INT, it's going to be longer than that. But I I will say this, on paper and on film, from what I've seen, I've watched all of Mississippi State's games. I watch, Obviously, I've seen South Carolina games multiple times. We are the better football team. We're more co- more cohesive, like you mentioned with their offensive game plan. They're still they don't still they still don't know what they're doing. Um, South Carolina should win here. I think they beat the spread. Uh, I, I could see this being a ten, maybe even seventeen point win for the Gamecocks. But I say that if the Gamecocks play like they played in the first half against Georgia, particularly that first drive. But if things start getting unraveled. I do worry about the, oh, no, here we go again, monster jumping on your back. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And I've kind of gone back and forth on this. Um, I do feel confident that South Carolina should be able to pull this one off. But I'm also going to – I'm trying to be a little less superstitious. So I'm just going to come out and say it. I think we're going to whip their ass this weekend. I think South Carolina is going to – Yes, sir. Here's what I'm looking at. This this is this is uh you know the first yeah okay we had the Furman game in the Williams Price but this is the first SEC game. It's 7:30. It's a sellout again. The place is going to be loud, very loud. I think Will Rogers is going to get uh going to get hammered a couple times and I think uh, I think we will have a a a solid lead at halftime and then I think we will just wear them down more and I'm I don't even know what the over under is on this game, but I, I'm looking at at least like a two, a two, a two touchdown win lead. Okay, I, I mean, I I love your way of thinking, and I and I agree. That's what should. Happen. I could be dead wrong, and I will eat that yeah. crow next week. I, I, that's what should happen. All right, maybe it's take- wishful. Maybe, maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part. Could or be. Whatever. whatever. We'll see. Uh, let's take a look around college football. Thomas, we're going to start off with 12 p.m. Uh, number four, Florida State heads to Pickens County to take on the boys from the upstate. Thomas, here's the thing, and we're talking about Clemson here for anybody not from the state of South Carolina. Um, here's the thing about this line. Florida State is favored by two points. 
Like, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. They're number four in the country, right? That they are. And 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 Clemson's on range, right? Last I checked. And the last time they played a quality opponent, they lost by 21 points, right? That they did. I mean, I get Florida State since playing LSU hasn't really played, you know, somebody top notch that I can remember. They they they've played a couple warm up games, haven't they? They have, and I don't know if this is, you know, um, uh, Jordan Travis. That's the quarterback, right? Florida State. He, he yeah, he. Um, I know he got a little banged up last week, but I think it was like a non throwing hand or shoulder injury. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. I don't really right. keep up with Florida State's injury report, but. I don't know. That's that's why if, if if I was laying action this weekend, I don't think I would touch that game because I'd be like, "What the hell does Vegas know?" Yeah, I was about to say that's one of those games you you nailed it. That's one of those games you're like, "What does Vegas know that I don't know? What yeah. is Vegas looking at that I'm not aware of?" Uh, that'll be an interesting to watch one to watch. Three thirty, number fifteen, Old Miss at number thirteen, Alabama. Bama's the the uh, favorite here by seven. Thomas, I mentioned it. Uh, briefly a second ago, Bama did not exactly look great uh, against the mighty uh, South Florida Bulls. Uh, oh, man. And that turnstile at quarterback, too. What in the hell was that all about? Are we watching? And I'm going to put you on the spot here. Are we watching the collapse, the demise, the, 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 the crumbling of the Nick Saban dynasty at Alabama. I think we might be. I mean, I do think obviously, you know, the 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 cop out answer would be like, well, let's see how the next couple of weeks go. But uh, we we could be, uh, and I will be very shocked because if it is, I didn't necessarily see it going exactly this way. I didn't either. Um, here's the thing: I would typically say a wounded animal Alabama team, a team that's disrespected, a team that's you know, lost to Texas, didn't play well against South Florida. I would say that's the most dangerous team you could play this week. I just don't know if they've got it. And Lane Kiffin, who I I will say, I I think he does actually have a whole lot of respect for Nick Saban. I really do think that. I know he likes to be a jokester and and take some shots. (laughs) But I think he respects Lane, uh, Nick Saban for what he did for his career. Kind of, you know, did the he Lane Kiffin was kind of the first coach rehab that went to Alabama, right? In my opinion, uh, if you think about it. Yeah, because uh, was Kiffin was before Sark, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He Sark yeah. replaced Kiffin. Kiffin right. went there after he was uh, fired on the tarmac at Southern Cal. Yeah. Um. So, I think he'd love to beat his old boss. I think he'll be respectable as much as Lane Kiffin can be, but I think he'd love to beat his old boss. Thomas, no doubt. are you laying any money on this if you could? No, because this is also one of those games where after Jalen Milrow, the presumptive starter for you know the, the year who, who didn't play last week, um, and, he, and, and it's been said that he will be the starting quarterback this weekend, I guess, and moving forward, this is – Jalen Milrow could take it as a sign of disrespect and motivation. He could come out and ball out of his mind this weekend and throughout the rest of the year. And then I think things would be a lot better. Now, I think Alabama has a little bit deeper problems than just their quarterback position, particularly on the offensive line when you're comparing it to Alabama's of of yesteryear. Mm -hmm. But 
uh this game's always fun so i'm that's that's definitely gonna be my 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 primary 330 game now let's talk about the team that everybody's talking about the colorado buffaloes led by coach prime go buffs heading into eugene oregon to take on the oregon ducks bo Nix is their quarterback this is number 19 colorado versus number 10 oregon and Thomas, you pointed out on the rundown something that I agree with you. This is a twenty-one point line. Yeah, I'll, I had to check. I had to double check that to make sure, like I, I didn't have a stroke or I was looking at the wrong number. But yeah, and and while we're talking, I'm still going to verify that again because yeah, a twenty-one point home favorite in a top twenty matchup. If you got number nineteen Colorado, number ten Oregon, that's that seems like a lot, right? I, it it seems like a lot. As much as the two-point spread on the Florida State game seems small, this spread seems huge. This is a top-20 matchup. You know, say what you want to say about who Colorado's played. They played TCU, by the way. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Shador Sanders has looked like an absolute stud. But and, I'm impressed. Uh, and, and, what are I just I don't get this line. I don't get this line. Here's what I'm gonna tell you about Shador Sanders. When your bloodline is Deion Sanders and your quarterback mentor is Tom Brady, you you probably should be good. And, and wait, is, is Brady his uh his mentor? Yes, they are like boys. You didn't Somehow see that, that that doesn't surprise me. Like Brady's been working with him and he said I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning last Saturday watching that game. He said in the post game it was Brady time when he led the drive, and Brady came back. And this week, apparently, Shador's been putting stuff on social media of his new Bentley. And Brady said something like he needs to get his ass in the film room and start out of that car. So like <laughs> they, they, they are boys, and uh, they, you know, Tom's had some some work with with Shador, and I'm not shocked by that. Prime, prime. let's just let's just talk about Deion Sanders. At this point, Thomas, who is better at football in any way than him right now? Like, it's early in his coaching career. I get it. Let's say they go into Eugene and they win this ball game. They were 1-11 last year. They were picked, I think, in Vegas for under over under four wins. They yeah. matched that total if they win in Eugene this weekend right now. That would put them most likely in the top 10. Yeah. Like, what errors or weaknesses do we see about Prime at this point? I, I don't see any. I will say that, um, again, as uh, one of my brothers pointed out to me, I think one of the true tests of Prime is going to be when they do lose a game or if they lose yeah. more than one game, like how he handles that, how he handles the team culture, the morale and all that rah-rah crap. But I think because, yeah, it's all it's all fun right now and he can talk all the smack he wants. And and I'm not talking smack against Brian because I love Brian and I think it's fun. It's fun to watch. I think he's good for college football. Um, but that'll be the true test there. And this this I weekend, agree. I mean, this weekend is going to be their biggest test. I mean, you know, they're probably and not to mention because I think uh, they've got Southern Cal next weekend. So no, yeah, this is this is a little bit of a murderer's row for them. This is a yeah. little bit for a murderer's row. And if they do win this Eugene game, this game in Eugene, that game 
Colorado Southern Cal will be college game day. It'll be the game that everybody's watching. Caleb Williams versus Shador Sanders. You know, they'll be talking about this is going to decide who wins the Heisman. This is going to decide. Is Shador draft eligible? I don't think he is yet, is he? Uh, I don't know. I think he's technically a sophomore. All right, let's move to the next one. Last one on the docket here. Ohio State, favored by three, going into South Bend against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Thomas, what are your takes here? You know, it's interesting. Whenever I put this on here, I was like, well, sweet. You know, there's there's a lot of really good ranked matchups, this being one of them being a top 10 matchup. But I started thinking about it. I have seen so little of Ohio State this year. I mean, I, I can't tell you if I've watched any of their games other than just some highlights here or there. I've seen a little bit more Notre Dame, but I'm like, is Ohio State legitimately number six in the country? I don't know. Have you seen them? I don't know what the hell they are. I've watched a little bit here and there, not as much as I've watched of them in the past. I'll tell you this, Marvin Harrison Jr. is an absolute stud and will be drafted very he is high. legit. Um, they struggled against Indiana, I think, in week one. They haven't – I mean, they've done fine, but it's going to be interesting. And then – but here's the thing. It, I question Notre Dame at every corner. Like, I yeah, – I, I, Exactly. Like, they're playing like, you know – South Poly Tech University on Dayton, you know, or something. And like when they play this game and they play somebody else, it's just, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, it'll be interesting. It's, you know, it's two marquee names, that's for sure. Um, yeah. you know, Ohio State, Notre Dame, this has been a two big programs for what, 50, 60 years in college football? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, Thomas, I know we don't have this one on the docket, but before we're not because they're not playing anybody this week. We got to talk about Tennessee. Oh, yeah. That was we got to talk, talk about Tennessee. It, is Joe Milton, is it the third or second? I think he's the third. Third, third, yeah. Is he just one of those guys that has every physical attribute, attribute yeah. but just doesn't, it doesn't yeah. click game when he's pressured and, and it's all that? Is that, is that your read on him? Because that's my read on him. I think that is it. I mean, he can throw it a mile, but you don't know where the hell it's going. Um, and, you know, there's also been a little bit of scuttlebutt that, because uh, I think last year, you know, Hypel is an offensive guy. Everybody knows that, and it's his system. But he did have um, Alex Golish, I think, was the OC last year, and he left. He left after last year, and so now people are saying, well, you know, was it really like Golish, like calling the plays, and Hypel's not as good? <laughs> Fair. I don't know, but I think they also just have uh, some monkey on their back and just cannot win in Gainesville. Right. No. I, I, yeah. And that's. I mean, there are there are situations like that throughout college football. I mean that that is a thing. Um, maybe they bounce back. I think they're playing uh, University of Texas. Uh, UTSA. Yeah. TSA is that uh, San Antonio? That's what it is. San Diego. Um, San Diego. Does Does Ricky? Waters or not Ricky Waters, Ricky Williams still coached there. He coached there at one point. Ooh, I don't know. That's a name I hadn't heard in quite a while. Hey, listen, man, he was a stud. All right. Um, all right, fans. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, hope you heard a little bit about scheme and and some and got a little deeper into the to the minutiae of the game than you usually hear on a podcast or a radio broadcast. Thomas, I'm gonna tease the fans a little bit. We've got I like it. a mystery 
Gamecock legend that's coming on the show potentially in two-ish weeks. Thomas and I are so excited about this. When I told Thomas I thought this was going to happen, we both said, I'm preparing now. I'm getting ready now. Yes, definitely. This is a, if this happens, which I believe it will, everybody listening right now is going to tell someone else or multiple other people, you got to listen, because he's a big one. We're excited. We'll see what happens. I'm not giving it away. You got to come back in two weeks. I'll give you more information next week, but you got to come back. Thomas, if fans wanted to follow us on social media, what they need to do is go to SAA Football Fan on social media on and on Instagram, and we're just the slightly above average football fan uh, podcast on Facebook. We don't have a threads because why would we? Um, and you know, get you some free ice. And Thomas, as we head out the door, what you want to tell the people? I want to give a shout out to all my friends and family over in the PD in Williamsburg County. Good on them for finding the missing uh, fighter jet. And I'm glad it didn't fall on any of my people's houses out there. Be safe out there, everybody. See ya. See ya.